Okay, Sharon, this is our, our third conversation, and uh, we're going to start with a meditation in a moment. But uh, before that, I just want to introduce uh, to uh, the, the audience, our focus today is going to be around the theme of trying to answer this question of what is support? And uh, I think it's going to give us an opportunity to talk about uh, our learnings from Virginia's work in a way because this question is so broad, the idea of support in families and friendships and communities. And I think we'll touch upon a lot of the universal wisdom, which we've been talking a lot about. So I'd like to start with a meditation um, as a way of transitioning into this conversation. So uh, why don't we take a moment to okay. close our eyes and feel our feet flat on the ground. And let's first connect with our breath. nice deep nourishing breaths to get centered and grounded and connected and just feeling whatever sensations of the body or inner sensations of emotions and feelings that are present And if you could imagine that this moment of reflection and quiet can be a supportive exercise in your life. Just taking a moment to slow down. To pause. to let go of some of the tension that you may be carrying in your shoulders, in your stomach. In your face. Just allowing yourself to let go let go of any particular pressures or expectations or shoulds that may be circulating. In a moment, we're going to end the meditation. Just see if you can take a moment to appreciate yourself or checking in or connecting to the space inside. And appreciating who you are. Okay, so when you're ready, making a sound or a stretch or a movement to... <sighs> back to come back to the room you're in and orienting yourself with your eyes and your body to where you mm. are and oh thank you okay. oh, <laughs> you're welcome so Sharon um, yeah how what comes to mind when you think about support and and then I guess on two levels personally and within the the context the role as a 
as a people helper, as a therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, what are what are some initial thoughts you have about that? Well, what was interesting, Tim, was that um, you slow down, which is the hardest thing in the world for me to do, <laughs> slow down and reflect. What popped up was Jeannie McClendon's famous phrase that everything is better with support. <laughs> And I went, yeah, yeah, it is, you know. Oh, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I'm thinking when when you're when you said that phrase is like everything's better when there can be a hug or or yeah. something. That's that yes. you know, it's a manifestation, like a physical act of a supportive yes. thing. Yes. And uh you know, I think about what the research tells us about the power of a therapeutic relationship that it accounts for most of what um, helps change to happen. Mm-hmm. And when we can be in a connected, supportive, nurturing context with one another and we feel that, it opens up the possibility. And then we can get out of our stuck patterns and habits of thinking and behaving and feeling. So if, if we imagine that support happens in the space between you and I or mm-hmm. uh, you and whoever you're working with uh, what how would you describe or how can you illustrate that experience because I find you to be a very supportive person and I feel so much inside when when I'm receiving support from you what what is the embodied experience for you when that's the energy that you're offering to someone I think um feeling of joy of being connected and um, being in awe of all that mm. you are you know and feeling fully accepting mm-hmm. of wherever you are in your process believing that's right where you need to be mm-hmm. and that um, I, th- I think of this phrase that a variety of different people that work with groups of people or with individuals, whether they're doctors or uh, naturopaths or yoga instructors or therapists, they talk about holding the space for someone. Mm-hmm. Right? When they're going through a healing process, it's important to be able to hold the space. What, what do you think they mean by that phrase? I think it's being truly grounded yourself mm-hmm. um, so that you can be there for that person to help them walk through whatever the pain is trusting that there is a possibility I once had a teacher who said to us as therapists mm-hmm. it's most people when they come into therapy are terrified because they are afraid if they get into their pain that nobody can take them out of it. Mm -hmm. And I've had hundreds of people over the years say to me, if I start crying, I will never stop. Okay. Okay. So for me, it's being grounded in the fact that there is no such thing as a permanent emotion. Mm Mm-hmm. And very, very clear after 38 years of experience that people can heal. And having walked through pain and having walked through horrific pain, 
mm-hmm. with people and knowing that there is a healing process, not necessarily in any small increment. I mean, and not any kind of quick fix by any means, yeah. but that yeah. that process is always there. Uh, keeps me grounded so that I can hold that that space for people. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I once heard a, that that Carl Rogers said to him said that he thought somebody would send out private letters to all his patients when he had worked through something because very soon all kinds of his patients were then bringing up some issue, you know, and that they could sense in him that it's okay to go there now. And none of us have worked through all of our stuff, but the more we have, the more capability we have for holding whatever else somebody needs to walk through. So I want to make sure I'm understanding. So you're saying when Carl Rogers would come to a a level of understanding about himself or some of his own work, then he'd receive letters? Is that what you're saying? He'd receive letters? No, he said it was as if. Uh Uh-huh. Somebody had sent out letters to all of his patients saying, it's okay to go there now with Carl. He can handle it. (laughs) Right. So they would go places that they wouldn't have gone before. It's like they could sense something different about him. Uh Uh-huh. Oh. That's neat. Yeah, I I had this when you were saying because you've gone to places of pain and done your own healing, um, the word guide, that someone who's been on that journey before, it's not exactly the same content, but emotionally it's a similar landscape and from the experience of it. And um, a guide can help um, have the confidence to say you're – experience or your feelings aren't permanent and mm-hmm. that you're in a process of moving through something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think to to the idea that no feelings are permanent, it is possible, though, to get stuck in things, though, isn't it? Oh, yeah. And especially, especially when part of the whole pattern is a specific thinking pattern, a certain feeling pattern, mm-hmm. a certain pattern of belief. Uh, and so that I think that is the status quo experience that people are coming from. It's like my yes. what I know is this chronic state of uh, anxiety or yes. pain or anger. Yes. And so the idea I think the idea of going through that process sometimes it's it's about the permanence of an even deeper pain, um, but also a loss of what's familiar. Like what who am I if I'm not in so much pain? Who am I with without this? Um, this particular experience that has now become so familiar to me. Um, I, I guess I wonder in terms of support, I guess what you're saying is it's really important that that supportive person uh, has a good sense of themselves, a good awareness of themselves so that they can um, emotionally have the capacity to be there and exactly. to, yes. uh, to normalize uh, this kind of moving through the experience uh, to the other side. Uh, and when you use the word, the, the, the phrase, be there, the famous um, theorist and uh, therapist, Susan Johnson from Ottawa, uh, who created Emotionally Focused Therapy, mm-hmm. said that she came to the conclusion that the deepest longing that people have in intimate relationships is to have someone be there for them. Mm-hmm. And when she, when I heard her say that, I thought, well, that's pretty simplistic. But then my ears started listening when I was working with couples. And that would come up over and over again. You weren't there for me. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. I needed you to be there and you weren't. And I'm holding all that resentment and anger, you know. Yeah. Uh, and like you said, people can get stuck in it. Virginia used to say, there's a difference between the pain of blame and the pain of recognition. And people can get stuck in the pain of blame. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because blame is connected to the expectation of the should. Mm-hmm. You should have. And then mm-hmm. that separates people from the mm-hmm. reality of what happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And without being able to move through that reality of what happened, if if it's you should have, it's like well now now I'm stuck because we can't we can't travel back and right. change what happened in the past. Right. But we can update that experience through if it's an interpersonal relationship right. by the acceptance, the acknowledgement of mm-hmm. what was missed, mm-hmm. and that can be the corrective emotional experience, the the relational experience then can heal from that, I, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, I think a lot with what we're talking about in terms of the context of parenting, how much parents struggle with, you know, how, you know, my kids had a tough time, they're being bullied, I don't know what to do, um, or they're really anxious, they, they're, they're not willing to, you know, go to bed on their own, so how do I, how do I support them through that? Um, yeah, what would you, in terms of that, the various roles, whether it's between couples or within families, um, what do you see as being helpful in, in terms of helping uh, educate um, or or guiding them towards trying something different? Because mm-hmm. um, yeah, there's a certain pattern that happens that right. is is not supportive. You know, I'm always learning, and one of the things that I realize that I can get stuck in trying to help people let go of shoulds yeah and so what i've been doing recently is saying yes they should have mm-hmm. whoever mm-hmm. they're blaming and yeah. they didn't yeah and that's the loss and the grief yeah you know yeah. um many 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 years ago i had a, a couple that had been i don't know if i mentioned this before i had a couple been married for 25 years and uh, a constant, constant conflict. And what eventually emerged was that she was stuck in the pain of blame because he dropped her off to deliver their baby, went mm-hmm. to work and said, call me when it's over. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And yeah. so she had never let go of that resentment. You know, yeah. and it's like, yes, he should have stayed with you. And he didn't. Yeah. yeah. So, allowing her to grieve that loss and that expectation and then see if with that acceptance she can move out of it rather than immediately trying to help people go, uh, you need to let go of the should. <laughs> yeah, because because I, I think that's dangerous because um, if I have an expectation that I'm safe in my my marriage and, I, and I'm, I'm physically assaulted, I should hang on to that expectation that you shouldn't hit me. Exactly. Why would I let go of that expectation? Now, what we can look at is if I hang on to that expectation, I still need to go through a process of accepting that's not what happened. Mm -hmm. What what was going on there for the other person and for me Mm -hmm. so that I can make a decision. Is this a relationship that I can stay in or not? Mm -hmm. Is there a a process that we can engage in that will help rehabilitate or heal this so that we can we can be in a different kind of relationship um, but it's it's not sacrificing the should it's putting it in its, its proper place that should is never going to be actualized now 
in that moment because that moment's over it's questioning does that have a chance to be actualized now or somewhere in the future right Mm -hmm. and so the pain when people people get locked into blame and and they get into this rigid as as we would describe it in locked into an iceberg about that Mm -hmm. then it's the expectation of well you didn't do what you should have done and so therefore I feel ashamed of that I feel low and then I'm also putting you in a conclusive box of you're, you're not going to be other than that. Mm-hmm. And so, so then there's two icebergs, two very solid conclusive things that have happened. And then there's, there's, that's, I think, where hope dies. So to transition from that and coming back to the theme of support, uh, how do you help clients? Uh, one of the things you said is, is to acknowledge the should, mm-hmm. right? Um, there's something in the acknowledging. Can you speak a little bit more to how that's supportive and then sort of where they go from there? Mm-hmm. I think it completely fits with what we're talking about, which is that people long to be understood and mm-hmm. heard and seen. And, and so huge amount of support is being able to empathically reflect what you hear somebody understanding. I mean, experiencing, you know, yes. not that that perception is necessarily accurate because most of, most of our perceptions are in some way distorted because they all come out of our experience, Yes. you know, and the conclusions we've made. But to begin with, you need yeah. to feel that somebody else feels you, senses you, gets with your perception what you're experiencing. Mm. Mm-hmm. Even when I'm working with somebody who's suicidal, I want to be able to voice because most people want to skip that part because it's too scary. I want to be able to voice. You're feeling like the pain is too much. You can't stand it. You don't want to live anymore. Now, I may say right now to kind mm-hmm. of qualify that. So, you know, I'm hinting that this is a this is temporary, but I want to be right there in their shoes mm-hmm. you know, with that. Yeah, and that's such a, I think, powerfully authentic way of being supportive because it's, it's it's acknowledging where they are at that moment exactly. in time which yes. is the only thing you can do that's the yeah. it's what's alive and present in that moment um i think about the contrast and we were talking about this before of the the sort of generalization that um women can be and this is not a a, a general statement women can be more in touch with their experience and their emotions and then sometimes men are a bit distant now that can go in either direction and in same-sex couples there's someone sometimes the dynamic plays itself out in that way where one is more in touch with their inner experience and Mm -hmm. one is is far away from that whether Mm -hmm. that be emotions or yearnings or or what have you and i think what you were saying in terms of this yearning to be understood and seen it's, it's like i think both need that um, but one may be more aware of how important that need is and they're asking for it and they're asking for it and maybe one has sort of normalized or is completely ignorant to that as even an, a human experience because maybe they never experienced it and they're growing up mm-hmm. so that when you describe that the the man that mm-hmm. uh, dropped off his wife to, to it's it's you know what's his point of reference for that and right. again it's not to excuse the it's not to excuse bad behavior right. Right. Uh, or to excuse what 
should have should have happened that somehow shouldn't have happened. No, it, mm-hmm. it it's what was needed. The human need in that moment was support exactly. and safety yeah. and presence yeah. and all of that. The the support on the other side is what allows, I think, for that transformation to happen mm-hmm. for both both partners. Mm-hmm. It's it's the uh, trying to deeply understand where the other person was coming from to acknowledge the missing behavior, the missing insight, the the lack of a pattern of uh, compassion or perspective taking that mm-hmm. was going on over there. Then mm-hmm. it makes it possible for a change to happen and yes. and for something of like forgiveness or grace yes. to yes. to then be part of what's existing between those two people. Right. Um, right. But the fixation, I think what is toxic is this fixation on the should, which becomes resentment, yes. which becomes like Gottman's, you know, Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, the stonewalling, right. the defensiveness, right. the criticism. It's all, that is just then the rigidity of what happens yes. between people. Yes. Um, so this, and I think, you know, when you were talking before about these universals, mm-hmm. it's like the the ingredients for that healing has got to be something that allows the resentment and the shoulds to soften. Um can, can you speak to that in terms of, I don't know if you do work with, with couples or in terms of what, what shifts need to take place in order for people to really soften that should mm-hmm. and to soften their anger and to get out of that blame stance mm-hmm. um, and then to be able to, to connect to that initial yearning mm-hmm. and then on the back, the other side of that, to then have some space for their partner who screwed mm-hmm. up, <laughs> mm-hmm. who, who missed uh, the opportunity. So... Yeah, yeah. and I think it, first of all, it's the hardest. The hardest thing to do is support your partner because you mm-hmm. have so much invested, you know. Mm. But uh, I'm reflecting on a powerful, powerful series that was on Masterpiece Theater in the United States uh, the last three Sunday nights about the life of Alexander Wilson, mm-hmm. who um, was caught was um, uh, his. What turns out in the series is that his wife, that thought she was the only wife when he died, okay. um, and had two boys, discovers that she's one of four. Oh wow! Period of time. I mean, it's just one hellish ex- discovery after another. Right. And uh, uh, he had been a part of the. What he told her was a part of the British Foreign Service. And then she couldn't figure out what lies there were, and it, it was just hell. And then the boys began to realize their father wasn't who he was. Mm. So she goes to a priest and says, what do I do with this? I cannot forgive him. I am just beside myself. I'm devastated. Mm-hmm. And the priest said, well, forgiveness begins with understanding. So she takes that, and she goes to the place that she knew that he thought of as his home place. And it turns out that that was actually a hospital during World War I where he had been a patient mm. because he had been terribly wounded in World War I. And really sounds to me like psychotic, became psychotic because she's able to interview the woman who took care of him who said that he had night terrors all the time. And the woman herself said, yes, all the time I was married to him, he had night Mm -hmm. terrors, okay? And he would scream and he would scream. And she said, and then one day, one of the physicians realized that what might help him would be to create stories Mm 
And so he brought in a typewriter. And the man, she said, the man starts typing, typing, typing stories in which there were happy endings to horrible tragedies of war. Mm -hmm. You know? And then she said, all of a sudden he starts to sleep and he starts to eat and we can see him coming back to himself. Right. And so what happened was that he created a life of stories that were fantasies, right? And mm -hmm. when, his, when the wife heard that, you could see her begin to shift into that other, her heart, you know? She began to go, oh my mm -hmm. God, you know, I was the victim of his lies and were my sons, but also these other women were and their sons, so it turned out to be four. And all because he was a victim of, of war, right. you know? And that compassion and what I have, when I've worked with couples, and this is not easy because like you talk about, all those defenses are like, Wah! they're really in there and they've got these terrible scripts going between them. They can mm -hmm. give you their horrible scripts, but they can't get out of them. Yeah. How to help them get to that other place where they can hear through me or through the therapist or a different perspective that that person of what's mm -hmm. going on inside of them. Right. And then what their heart is feeling and what they're longing for. And right. I have watched situations where when we get there, there is such a melting in the room, it's just mind-boggling. You talk yeah. about melting the iceberg, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it may, uh, maybe I'll say later on, like, um, well, what happened with that issue you started fighting about with the mother-in-law? And the person who was doing the blaming will say, uh, I can deal yeah. with her. Yeah. <laughs> and I yeah. go, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because there's a, there's a different energy when you go from the should, which is in your head, yeah. and then maybe the muscles of tension, yeah. to the softening of, of your heart. Yeah. And I guess the, the thing that I'm picking up is just how important stories are. One, it, the stories were important in, in terms of bringing this man back to life from his, I guess, psychotic or catastrophic, I don't know what to say, I don't know anything about this person, but, and then... There, there's something really important about having a cohesive narrative, a cohesive yes. story yes. Uh, for your own uh, mental health. Like, what does it mean when you can apply meaning mm -hmm. to something that seems so horrible or yes. so meaningless? Yes. Um, and Absolutely. we're all we're all kind of left after situations of divorce or of death or whatever tragedies that mm -hmm. we're, we're faced with in life to, to make meaning of that. And, yes. um, although it didn't change, like with this, with this woman you're describing, it didn't change what happened. Right. Uh, she opened up uh, more energy of seemingly compassion that allowed her to, to soften and expand yes. her perspective. Yes. Um, of this, of her, of her husband. Yes. And yeah, I think that's, um, that's the process in terms of what we're aiming at mm -hmm. when it's support between us mm -hmm. and the people we're working with and then what we're hoping to mm, encourage between uh, a couple with each other it's that you know expansion. i also want to say a caveat to that tim and mm -hmm. that is uh, i think there are some things unforgivable mm -hmm. um, okay. that i have been a witness to as a therapist Right. And I never ever want to give somebody the expectation as a therapist that, is, that they have to forgive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Know? And that's, yeah. that's always a choice. Right. 
Yeah. I I think about forgiveness in, in two levels, and maybe there's more. There's the forgiveness that you offer at the level of yourself, which is a process of accepting what happened, never mm-hmm. approving of, of negative or destructive behavior, and then a letting go of that for yourself, for your own healing. And then the second part is trying to figure out whether a forgiving and a forgiving process can happen in the manifest relationship, in the actual here and now to reestablish a relationship. And if the other person is not available for change, if they're, um, or if the act was so heinous that a relationship cannot exist, then that forgiveness, that relational forgiveness uh, cannot happen. And it's the acceptance of that. Um, but I, I try to differentiate. Tell me, tell me more what you mean by accepting and then letting go for yourself i'm not quite sure what you mean by that well for, for example if um if you came from a background where your parents or one of your parents were abusive physical or sexual or otherwise mm-hmm. it's um it's getting to a place and this is very difficult of course uh, mm-hmm. getting to a place where the should that should have happened didn't and mm-hmm. it's not approving of it but acknowledging yes that's you should have been safe and, mm-hmm. and your physical safety, your emotional safety should have been prioritized. Mm-hmm. You were the kid. And to accept and to move into a forgiveness process of, one, forgiving myself, because oftentimes people are carrying that shame and saying, what what did I do to deserve yes. this? Maybe, maybe yes. something, they're yes. carrying that. So it's one okay, and one level. Okay, gotcha. A, Good. A forgiveness okay. of letting that go and forgiving yes. the self. Yes. Um, but then also differentiating the the forgiveness at the level of the self of the other person that they were so limited and they were they were corrupted in such a uh, an evil way that the behavior that came out was that you know and to forgive and to let go because if the individual that person who was victimized stays in the should against themselves i should have done something differently or mm-hmm. the the anger and resentment that has a toxic effect on themselves in their mm-hmm. own life. So letting go of that is, I think, very important in terms of being yes. able to let the energy flow again, to be healthy, exactly. to be vital. Yes. Mm-hmm. The, the, I'm, so I'm differenti- differentiating that as a forgiveness process for the self and then a, a relational forgiveness process, which is I'm trying to figure out, like to have a relationship, you need to be able to meet each other's needs. And to to if you can't meet the should now, trust that you, you're gonna get there at some point. Mm-hmm. And when that can happen, um, because the the other person is unwilling or too violent or they're lim- they're limited in, in a variety of ways, mm-hmm. then the individual who was hurt needs to decide and say, this you know I I let go of you in peace. Like this is not safe for me to have a connection with you. So mm-hmm. um, so I'm going to step away from from this hurtful and toxic connection. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that relational forgiveness is not always possible mm-hmm. uh, but i think the level of uh, the forgiveness at the level of self is always available i really like the way you articulate that thank you yeah well i'm glad that uh, i mean the the question maybe we can focus this on this as a theme um over the next few conversations because i think there's a lot to unpack and mm-hmm. um i've really enjoyed uh exploring with you how support looks in a variety of contexts. Mm -hmm. Um, So why don't we continue this more Mm -hmm. the next time? Sure, great, all right.